Pokemon, this is Captain Tawn. Come in. Go ahead, Tawn. We read you. We have the Trexian sci-fi compound in sight. Awaiting order, sir. Maintain your position and monitor all outgoing transmissions. The Jedi believe Admiral Rico's broadcast will reveal vital secrets we can use to control this sector. Understood, Commander. Audio monitors are up and running. S stand by. Sir, the Rico transmission is commencing. I need to sign off. Roger that, Captain. Good hunting. Thank you, sir. Tarn out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi podcast uh, number 290 for August the 1st, 2010. Oh, man, I'm a little bit tired today, so I apologize if I sound a little drained or different. I was at a uh, air show yesterday for a long, very long day, very fun and exciting day, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that early in the podcast uh, today. First, I want to thank uh, Rob for that uh, cool little intro clip uh, with some clone voices that he did, and uh, he's got a few more things that he sent me and other things he's working on, and then I might sprinkle in today's podcast, and he really does a great job with the voices and stuff, so thanks again, Rob. Uh, today, though, we're going to be looking at uh, the Indiana Jones movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I've covered Raiders of the Lost Ark before. I've talked about Indy on, on a few other podcasts as well. And uh, I've been trying to go through the uh, kind of the original three movies especially. And I did Raiders, like I said, and uh, today is Temple of Doom. I'm going to kind of do it a little bit differently than I would normally do for a few reasons. And I'll go into that before we get into that discussion, uh, nothing drastic, but uh, you'll understand what I mean in, in a bit. Uh, I think, uh, and oh, and we have some great Comic-Con reports from both Kenny in California and Mina, both uh, on today's podcast, and I will be talking about that a little bit as we go, and some also uh, a lot of other listener audio. You guys came through really great this week for the Indiana Jones podcast, so let's get going. show everyone uh, welcome to trucks in sci-fi <laughs> oh my gosh okay let me tell you about yesterday for me and you'll understand my uh just 
I'm just tired. Uh, I got up at about 4.30 or so, maybe 4.30 a.m. yesterday, Saturday, uh, uh, July 31st, 2010. <laughs> anyway, uh, somebody at work that I, uh, a tester that I work with, had invited me along with her, with her and her husband to go to this, um, it's called EAA, it's, which stands for, I think, Experimental Air Aviation Aircraft, I think. I think that's what the acronym stands for. If you go to EAA.org, you can learn all about it. This is uh, the the mega godzilla size uh, air show of all time. I guess it's the world's largest uh, air show, air display, uh, number of aircraft, number of people that visit, uh, geographically, you know, how much area it takes up. It is just huge. If you are at all somebody who's interested in aviation and aircraft, especially older aircraft like classic, you know, World War II Airbirds, which I love, and that kind of thing, and some more modern things as well, all the way up to, like, I saw a Harrier yesterday uh, do its vertical takeoff landing and fly around. Man, that thing is, is cool, and it is loud. <laughs> and and I also saw a nighttime uh, show. They did a night air show where uh, planes were flying along around uh, in the dark, and they had, like, uh, I guess you could call it like sparklers coming out of them, and they shot out fireworks out of the plane. It reminded me so much of uh, the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, where the X-Wings are flying over over the skies, and they're, they're shooting out the fireworks. That's all I kept thinking about during this nighttime air show yesterday was that scene and how much i mean it literally looked like the they had somebody i I was joking around and people were wondering how are they how are they shooting those fireworks out of the plane because it almost looked like uh, you know it was a little tricky to see sometimes but it almost looked like there was a guy like standing in the doorway of these planes like lighting stuff and and tossing it out the door i don't know how they do it but it, it was spectacular it was amazing and i took i took a ton of photos which i'll be putting up very soon over on my Flickr account, which I think is flickr.com slash treksf. I think that's what it is. Again, you can look at, if you always go to the main website, treksandsci-fi.com, there are links to those kinds of things there, and I link it in the forums as well. So check that out if you're uh, not writing it down or if I even get something wrong. I'll post up some of that uh, uh, stuff later and probably some. Uh, I took a couple of videos of the, uh, one of the Harrier and a couple of others uh, during the show uh, that I'm going to post as well. I'm not sure how the videos came out. I have a pretty good digital camera, and it also takes video. So I tried to take a couple of video clips uh, too. But it it was just great, and uh, I'm just a little bit whipped. It was in, we didn't get back. I didn't get back and was into this apartment in Rockford. uh, Probably one, you know, between like 1 and one thirty yesterday, or this morning, I should say. (laughs) You know, the strange thing when you're up that long and you're walking around in the sun and, and I got a little sunburned and it, it's just a lot of walking and, and even the sitting, you know, wears you out just sitting outside like that in the sun. But um, when I got home, I, I decided to take a quick shower, kind of try to refresh myself. I mean, I had like sunscreen there, bug spray there. I mean, I was just kind of a mess. I'm always kind of a mess, right? <laughs> But I took a shower, and then I'm like, you know, okay, man, I should go to bed. And, and I lay in bed, and I'm, I, I'm like, realizing I, I've pushed myself, you know. It's it, it's like when I was going on these overseas trips that I've taken in the past for work and stuff. When you push yourself to stay up for a long time, it's kind of hard to just click that switch. 
your body is not used to uh, that amount of, you know, pushing it. And you can't really, at least for me, I don't know if other people find this, but when you push things like that, it, it's hard to click the switch off, I guess, and say, okay, now it's time to go to sleep. And of course, for some reason, it was late Saturday night yesterday, and there was some noise outside. I had a window open, and that didn't help. I mean, I eventually got to sleep, and I think I got up about 8 this morning, so I'm feeling okay. A little stiff and a little sore, a little sunburn. Managed to keep the bugs uh, away. You know, we, there were a lot of bugs flying around when we, when we sat and watched the nighttime air show, but uh, it was um, it was well worth it. Something you'll you'll never really see. This is this is up in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, is where they perform and do all this. And and it just so many cool aircraft. The the crowd and the people were cool. It really wasn't that congested. You know, when you go to an outside event like that. It's never quite, I think, as difficult uh, as when you go to a mega convention inside with a lot of people. Uh, you know, you're outside. You can always find a little corner to hide away in. But uh, I don't want to take up too much of the show. We have a ton of stuff to cover. The Indiana Jones movie, uh, Temple of Doom. We've got some great Comic-Con reports and, and things like that. So, But I will have some stuff posted uh, about the show. I, I, I loved it. Uh, probably my favorite part was uh, I love World War II Airbirds, uh, especially the Corsair which was such a huge factor and a turning point when they started to produce those towards, really towards a little bit more towards the end of World War II and, and how much, you know, how much that fighter, how much faster, more maneuverable than the Japanese Zero it was and, and, and how it really, for the, for the war in the Pacific arena, it, it made such a huge impact. And I don't know, that, that, that plane has just always... Uh, I love the way it looks, the way it flies, and and I saw that and uh, and took quite a few pictures of it. So uh, that was probably one of my favorite things at the show, along with the night I think uh, display that they did. And they had some acrobatics these guys were doing during during the day show for the for the air part, which was just amazing. They had some F-15s flying over and P-38s, and you know they 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 had one of those huge cargo planes. I think it's a C. Is it the C5 or the C7? I forget which. There's so many designations. Uh, but, oh, they had a little uh, drone plane. I forget what that was called. I took some pictures of it that's that's totally, uh, it's not flown by a pilot. It's just flown remotely to you know, sort of a spy plane thing. Just some cool, cool stuff. Really loved it. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, people from work inviting me along, the lady there and her husband. He, he's a huge, he, he's a big, big air air fan and airplane buff and fan. I mean, he could point out pretty much any plane or hear it and know what it was. I'm not anywhere near that good. I, I like it a lot. I've I've read about it. I've seen movies. Uh, and, and I used to build a lot of model planes growing up. So, But he, he was really good. And it was nice to have him along because he could really you know, educate me. And he was real nice about it. Um, so thanks Janet and Ralph for inviting me along. Uh, they have no idea I do this podcast thing. They know I kind of am a bit of a geek. I, I think that everyone sees that when they see my license plate on my car, they find that out, uh, with my Jedi license plate or whatever. But anyway, uh, let's skip off into, I, I sorry to take up so much time. Hopefully you found that interesting. And, uh, it's not exactly geeky, but I, it, it's another thing that I really love and don't get a chance to share that much or or, or do that much with. I, I always wanted to learn how to fly too, and well, who knows? Maybe someday, 
But uh, next up, what I want to do here is we're going to play some Comic-Con reports. The first one up I want to play is uh, Kenny. He's got his broken up into two pieces. I am going to play the first part of Kenny's report from Comic-Con, and I will come back and break it up a little bit and comment uh, after that, and and then probably play the next one from uh, Mina. So uh, here we go with Kenny's report from last weekend's big Comic-Con celebration in San Diego, California. Hey Rico, it's Kenny from California. Long time no talk to. Sorry, I've just been really, really busy having my own podcast and all that fun stuff. But I did want to send in a report about Comic-Con down in San Diego. I did attend again. This is my seventh year of going. And I have to say, it gets crazier and crazier every time I go down there. And busier and busier. When I first went back in 2004... There was probably about forty to 50,000 people, and now I think they estimated 130,000 people, um, and it shows. It's extremely busy, crowded, it's very difficult, um, but my overall experience, I had a great time. Uh, as always, it's fun. It's just fun to be there, even though it's crowded and crazy and you can't get into half the things you want. And um, and this year particularly was a lot of fun because of all my internet friends. I actually got to meet quite a few of them that uh, we've only talked online. And so it's always kind of neat to spend some days with these people that you only know online. You get to know them in person and they're just as wonderful and great in person as they are online. So uh, for those people who say that online friends aren't real... Um, they truly are real, and uh, when you meet them in person, it's even better. But anyways, uh, let's see, let's start with uh, day one was preview day, and preview day is normally, it's from like 6 to 9 on the Wednesday before the Comic-Con starts, and it's crowded on uh, the Exhibition Hall. Exhibition Hall is where all of the dealer rooms are, all the, you know, all the signings, all the artists, all that's in Exhibition Hall, and it's the size of, like, two football fields. So it's ginormous. And uh, on preview day, since there are no panels going on upstairs or anywhere else, everybody is down there, and it is packed. Uh, Fortunately, I used my little uh, guild power and got in a little bit early, so I was able to walk around the floor right before it opened for about an hour. So I got some really good pictures and didn't have to deal with crowds. And so that was a lot of fun. And uh, preview day went along, you know, great. I helped out a little bit with the guild uh, signing. Um, this year, they didn't require me to, to do much with them. Or at least that's what they said at the beginning. Um, so I didn't anticipate helping out. And um, I thought I'd just be able to enjoy, enjoy the, the con more. On, let's see, that was Wednesday, so Thursday was the first day, and I've already decided that I wasn't going to sit in line for six, seven hours to get into a panel that I really wanted to see. Um, There were panels, I mean, there were, I probably, you know, I pre-listed everything, I went through all the programs, I did my Excel sheet, I worked out all everything I want to see, what rooms they would be in, what time they would be in, and of course I didn't do a single one of them. Just because, like I said, I'm unwilling to waste seven hours in line for something that's, you know, with the internet and the way things are now and them allowing you to videotape and record. I mean, normally if you get into like a Hall H or a Ballroom 20, they're ginormous rooms. Hall H holds about 7,000 and Ballroom 20 holds, I think, about two or 3,000. All that information is immediately available on the internet. Video and everything. And when you're in those, unless you get their, I mean... You know, a day in advance, super early, you're not going to get a front seat. 
you're normally way back in the back and you're watching a big monitor anyway. So, you know, you can see the actors and they're like pinpricks on the, in the horizon, but you're normally watching it on the big screen anyways. So sometimes it's not worth it, at least not to me anymore, um, unless it was something I really, really, really wanted to do. Um, so what I did is I pretty much just walked around the floor. I helped out the guild again a little bit with their signings because they were on a corner. It was a great booth, but the but Fox also had stuff going on, so they were using the wall space, and we couldn't line. It was it was a madhouse. Uh, so many people wanted autographs, and it was just crazy, crazy, and they needed crowd control. Um, I also did Felicia uh, Muscle, so I would stand next to her, make sure no one approached her from the side, you know, People who w didn't want to stand in line, they just wanted a quick picture to say hi. They really need to keep the flow of traffic going, so I would stand there and make sure no one uh, approached her. But I did walk around a lot. I didn't see anything, really. Um, no panels, just took lots of pictures of really cool people in costumes. So, uh, and then hung out with, obviously, friends, did dinners and lunches and all that kind of stuff. That was a lot of fun. One other really cool thing was that Sci-Fi did Cafe Diem again which is the cafe from Eureka and it's just a it's a sci-fi themed cafe food place uh, there's pictures of all of the sci-fi all the sci-fi really cool shows like uh, Haven and uh, Stargate Universe and Eureka and and then of course the menus all say Cafe Diem and they're all all the foods named after characters from their shows but I love that place. I ate there several times during my entire stay. That was another really cool thing. Especially since Sci-Fi was unable to get a booth this year at Con, which is very unusual because they really have a really cool booth normally. And this year they weren't able to. So it was kind of cool that they had their, their off-site, you know, still had their presence there. So that was always cool. And let's see, for Friday, Friday was the probably the best day i got there super early because i wanted this vintage tron action figure it is the coolest action figure it is the hottest action figure at comic-con and i was determined to get me one there's only 1500 of them made and they were giving them out so many per day so it would be like we would give out 400 for on thursday we'll give out 700 on friday you know so i knew i had to be there super early i got there and it was just crazy i got there probably like seven in the morning they didn't open until 9 30 the line was huge i get all the way down to the floor i'm racing and i get to the line to get to the tron figure and it's closed um it seems that all of the vendors who are part of this comic-con you know the exhibitors all the people who they actually got in line first because they got in before the place even opened and uh, they filled up the line. Uh, there was almost a riot. People were extremely upset because people had been there even longer than I had, uh, standing in line waiting to get, because they all wanted these figures. Make a long story short, it all worked out in the end. They moved us around, and we did this weird paperclip line thing, and we all made it. Or not all of us, but I was fortunate enough, and I did get my figure, and that was one of the best things that happened at Comic-Con, because the figure is awesome. And after that, I got my Doctor Who. I, uh, on the forums, I know we've been talking about it. There's uh, a, the 11 Doctors in one big box set. It is, it's a TARDIS box set. It's awesome. Got that also. And then I decided I, I, I didn't want to carry around my, you know, my Tron figure because uh, it's just too much. It was worth too much to me. I went through a lot of effort to get it. So I decided to, to walk back to my hotel, leave it there. I rested for a bit. And then I got a tweet from uh, from the uh, the Tron viral people 
uh, it was called Operation something, and I was following them, and they tweeted that Flynn's was gonna is now open, and every hour on the hour they were giving out tickets from one to seven, and you can get into Flynn's. So I was only a few blocks from it. I had walked by it uh, previous day, so I immediately took off. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get the, I'm gonna get in Flynn's this year because last year. They opened Flynn's, and I didn't even hear about it until after Comic-Con when I saw pictures, and I was so bummed. So this year, I was determined to get into that place. So I got there probably around 1.45, and they were starting to give tickets out for 2 o'clock, but that one, they'd already given all those tickets out. They were only giving 100 tickets per hour. So if you didn't get them in 2 o'clock, you have to wait until 3 o'clock. Fortunately... They had miscounted, and they had a few more tickets, and I think like 20 of us got in to the 2 o'clock. But that doesn't mean we got in at 2. It just means we got tickets for the 2 o'clock line. So we went, I stood in line for like, I don't know, a half hour just to get the 2 o'clock ticket. And then you go into another line, which is on the other side, and I stood there for, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. But I have to tell you, it was worth it. This was the highlight of Comic-Con for me, personally. And I think I'll end the report there as it's running long. So that's going to do it for part one of my Comic-Con experience in San Diego 2010. Take care, Rico. Well, thanks so much, uh, Kenny, for your report. Uh, Yeah, Kenny's gone quite a few times uh, rubbing elbows with all those celebs there, being Felicia's muscle. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I... and I've said this a few times before, and you know, and I, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it to. Uh, well, let me let me rephrase. Uh, what I've said a few times before is, you know, I'd love to go to Comic Con, but t- it's sometimes when I hear reports like that, and you know, I'd love the experience and love going, but there's there's a couple things that kind of still a little bit. I don't know. It, it kind of bothers me, and I, I mean, I know I'd have a great time, but the, but one is is like you said, Kenny. The, the panels that they have there, I, I'd love to see them. I'd love to be able to be in there and, and listen to these different celebs talk about whatever movie or TV show. But I, I, I'm just like with you. I would not really be willing, I don't think, unless it was some kind of unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime maybe opportunity, I don't know, to, to sit in a line for hours and hours to wait to get in to something that you could just watch on the Internet uh, minutes later. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of one... I don't know if you call it one strike, but the uh, and then the other thing is, is is and I'm a big collector, Kenny. You know that, and and everyone who listens to the podcast realizes that. But I'm not, I don't feel the the drive or the need so much anymore to to wait in these lines and things like that for these uh, Comic Con exclusives that they have. I know some distributors, places like Sideshow and Gentle Giant, and that. And, and Hasbro, I believe, set up a different kind of system that I think it, it, I wish more of them did. I guess they didn't do this for the Tron figure uh, or, or some of the other things like the Doctor Who, but they actually have sort of pre-orders on their uh, websites for these things for people that are going to the con. You know, if you're going to be at the con, you sort of pre-order them online. Then you basically you just swing by the store at some point in time and you pick up your figure. Uh, and, and that, to me, seems like a, a good solution, although you still have that issue with, you know, X number of people going to the con and then still uh, uh, fighting it out instead of in person there, but fighting it out on in you know online to, to sort of where the figure, although I think they, they seem to have a little bit more to handle the numbers. They realize, you know, X number of people, so many people go to Comic-Con, and with it, within that group, there are so many who are going to want these figures. And, I mean, I know some people still miss out 
on those online pre-orders for uh, figures and things and toys and swag that uh, that is going to be available there. And I know there's a lot of stuff that they just do on the spot. But, again, I, I don't know if I'd really be willing to, to, to elbow and fight it out and wait in long lines for. Uh, you know, I, I love collectibles. I, I really do. But just that exclusivity is, isn't really that big a deal for me, I guess, any, anymore. I'd much rather order a nice thing from sideshow that that they're making maybe a thousand or a couple thousand of them or master replicas or efx or something like that uh then then do that other thing but i'm not trying to be you know i'm just saying this is just me and i I, i'd still really really want to go there sometime kenny maybe it'll work out next year but it will work out at some point in time i just want to walk around like you and you know see the different people and all the crazy costumes they're wearing and, and just and just kind of get to meet some people like you and other people maybe that listen to the podcast that I've never met and, and and that and just have a good time and try to relax and not not spend so much time you know worrying about those other things as, as much. Uh, I know I listen to Star Wars Action News, Arnie and Marjorie over there, uh, and, and they're big into you know getting all those exclusives and they have a very good system and they know what to do and that that's what they like and that's great. It's just. Uh, um, not too interesting for me anymore. But anyway, hey, I'm going to shut up and uh, since I wasn't even there. But I'm going to turn this over now to Mina. Mina has a fairly long... She had it kind of broken up into pieces because she recorded on her iPhone. I think this is about 20 minutes worth or so. But I'm going to play it all. I was toying with the idea of taking you know, Kenny and Mina's Comic-Con reports and, and putting them into a separate little add-on podcast. But most people have been saying lately that they don't mind the longer shows, and this one's probably going to be a longer show, so I'm going to cram it all into this one. And anyway, here is, uh, which these guys, you know, it's great to hear what you know Kenny and Mina have to say, and they went to the show. And I think you get a really good feel for what uh, was there. And Mina has some very interesting things to say about uh, different panels that she heard and saw and a little bit of that, but other things about her experience. Anyway, let her talk about it. So here goes Mina with her report, and then I'll be back. We'll get into Temple of Doom, and I think I'm going to save, well, probably actually I'll maybe play Kenny's second part after this. So here we go with Mina. Hi, Rico and Trex and Sci-Fi listeners. This is Mina bringing you part two of my Comic-Con special report. It's now Wednesday after the con, and I'm finally recovered a little bit, I think, um, on my way. Caught up on some sleep, and, you know, my feet have recovered from walking what has to equal several miles a day over the big spance. And Comic-Con was wonderful, exciting, exhausting, lots of fun, and I'm kind of glad it's over as we are right now. So, where we left off, I think I had talked to you guys about Wednesday and Thursday, Friday of the convention was sort of the start of the weekend, and generally when things start to heat up and get pretty interesting, and uh, Friday of Comic-Con was no exception. I uh, had a bunch of chance to do a bunch of really cool things. I tended to avoid the panel rooms, mostly because I just, you know, there's only so much you can do at Comic-Con, and unless you really want to get stuck in a panel room all day long, um, you kind of have to pick and choose. So there were a lot of things I wanted to see, a lot of shows that I wanted to meet the cast of or at least get a chance to see. And for some reason on Friday, I just didn't wind up in the panel rooms too often. Um, True Blood was in the house, and that is always a huge draw. The True Blood fans um, tend to kind of take over the place for that day, and the Friday was no exception. So it became very hard to get into the hall they were in. So 
I like True Blood. I watched the show a lot, and uh, I went up there and kind of thought about getting in, and I just couldn't see the merits of getting in a four-hour line. So instead of that, I spent a lot of time in the exhibit hall and saw some very cool things. I wound up getting into a signing with the cast of True Blood, so that I think was kind of cool because uh, I got to meet them up close and personal instead of just in a room with 6,000 other people. So that was very cool. Uh, another thing I got to do that day was get into a signing with um, Elizabeth Mitchell and Morena Baccarin of V. Elizabeth Mitchell, of course, Juliet of Lost Fame, and Morena Baccarin, Anara of everyone's favorite show, Firefly. And uh, Rico, I have to say, just to put a little aside here, I just got through listening to your Firefly podcast, and I loved it. Um, I'm a newish kind of convert to Firefly. I discovered it about a year and a half ago. And I am now a full-fledged brown coat. I help my local brown coat out and uh, just love that verse and really loved what you did with that podcast. Anyway, back to Firefly. It does tie in and back to Comic-Con. It ties in because Joss Whedon was also around on Friday at Comic-Con. Um, he had a great panel um, in Ballroom 20 called the Joss Whedon Experience. I did not get to see this panel myself, but I have seen it on YouTube. And I recommend everyone go see it. That guy is just so charismatic, so interesting. And it's really, anything he says is bound to be interesting and thought-provoking and just make you hungry for more. And uh, that certainly was it. Uh, the rest of Friday was pretty cool. Just kind of walked around the exhibit hall, got into things and got to see things. Towards the end of the day, I did get into a TV guide panel with uh, Zachary Levi, Chi McBride, Elizabeth Mitchell again and many other great actors, um, kind of a roundtable discussion, and that was a whole lot of fun to see. Um, it's always nice when people like that get together. It's always a lot of fun. That was the Hot List uh, panel, and, it, and uh, that was just very cool. Um, you get people together from different shows, and you never quite know the dynamic. Um, what I found to be true is that anytime Zachary Levi is in a panel with people he knows or doesn't, he always tends to command the audience, and he can get them to do pretty much anything he wants, and this was no exception. Zachary Levi kind of kept owning the show. Uh, after Comic-Con ended for the evening, I had the good fortune of going to the Chuck Tweet-Up, and uh, this was put on by uh, We Heart Chuck, a charity group, but it wasn't actually a charity event. It was just a fan meetup. Um, that was at a local bar, very cool, put on by Wendy Farrington, who's a um, pretty famous Chuck fan. She came up with the uh, Subway um, finale in a footlong campaign that is pretty widely credited for saving Chuck, or at least being a good part of, of Chuck getting saved by the fans the first year, or excuse me, the second year, um, when it looked pretty grim for renewal. That was a big part of it, and... Uh, we had a really wonderful time. It's great to hang out with Chuck fans. I've um, said before, I'm a huge, huge Chuck fan, and there's been a lot of events put on by uh, We Heart Chuck and other groups that have just been really special. I've never been part of a fandom that is so involved in the fandom, so involved with each other. There's a really group, good group of people who are Chuck fans, and we've now met each other several times, and we're all really good friends. And the coolest part is that the cast is so aware of how Chuck fans have been instrumental in saving the show that they're very appreciative. And uh, lo and behold to everyone, it was a wonderful surprise. Several people from the cast wound up coming to our little tweet up. 
and spending about 20 minutes with us, the fans, and that was just amazing. Um, it's not often that, you know, fans or actors from a, a big network show will randomly show up at a bar where fans are having a, a meetup and spend some time with them, and the actors of Chuck were so gracious to come, and it wasn't just one or two of them. We had Zachary Levi, Adam Baldwin, Josh Gomez, uh, Sarah Lancaster, and Ryan McPartland. So that was just so cool. Um, I've met those guys a couple times at some other events, and just the most gracious cast, gorgeous people, and just so, so cool to have that kind of experience. Um, it makes you really, you know, as fans, we try to save our shows. It's wonderful when we do, but it kind of feels like it's in a vacuum. You know, the shows come back or they don't. You know, I've been involved in several campaigns, and with Chuck, it's just been so rewarding. It's, you know, not only do we love them on screen, we love them off screen, and it's really nice to feel like somebody out there is, you know, getting a good thing from the fans' you know, support, and it's coming back, and being part of Chuck fandom has really been a, uh, a special experience for me. So, coming on Saturday, Saturday is well-renowned to be the craziest day at Comic-Con, and it did not disappoint. Uh, starting with the Chuck panel, first thing on Saturday morning. Now, I had a little bit of a cool, uh, cool experience with the Chuck panel. In years past, Generally, I've gotten up at, oh, four in the morning and waited in line outside the convention center, slept outside the convention center in order to make sure I have a good seat for the Chuck panel, which is first in the day. And that was certainly my plan. And sort of at the last minute, I got word from um, a friend of mine from that is con connected with Zach and the cast of Chuck that they needed some help on a super secret spy mission was all we were told. And so, of course, I was very eager to get involved in any way I could. So the long and the short of it is that uh, me and several other people um, got to go on a secret mission. Uh, Zachary Levi has just uh, launched a new clothing uh, brand called, Ner appropriately, Nerd, and wanted to give out um, about 200 of his new Nerd t-shirts at Comic-Con. And so um, we were asked to come and help sort the t-shirts and then give them out at the panel. So instead of having to get up at four in the morning and wait in line, uh, the group of us that were helping out got VIP access, got reserved seating in the panel front row, and then we got to become involved. And uh, when the lights went down, we started throwing out t-shirts. And I have to say, I've never quite experienced uh, the phenomenon of having 6,000 people suddenly begging you to throw them a t-shirt. I feel a little... Uh, little more uh, compassion for those that have to do that and give things out to large droves of people because it was really hard um, to not give it to the people who were begging and just try and make it as random and fair as possible. I only had about 50 shirts to give out and I tried to spread it out and but it was pretty cool. I did not get mobbed but it certainly felt like it could have had that potential but thankfully uh, at least in that ballroom the the nerds were all a pretty uh, well-behaved bunch. Um, I do recommend, I don't know exactly, the t-shirts are going to be available to the general public. They're very cool. They're black t-shirts in various sizes and styles, but uh, they have the uh, red Nintendo type button on them, and then it just says nerd, and it's a great t-shirt. I luckily got one, and I love it, and uh, I recommend everyone check it out. I believe they're going to be available on Zachary Levi's web's official website. 
after the chuck panel, it wasn't all, it was more and more good stuff. Um, I went directly from the chuck panel to a pilot screening of a show that I've been really interested. I've been hearing about it for a couple months and I was very curious and I really wanted to get in and I was very lucky I did. And, uh, that is the event. Now the event is a new kind of high concept thriller, um, that's going to be out on NBC this fall. And, um, you know, I'm one of these people that wasn't, I watched Lost, I enjoyed Lost, but it was more, I watched the whole series more because they kind of reeled me in and I wanted to see how it was played out. I thought it was a great show, but it sort of just was a little too complicated for me. And I have to be honest, now that it's over, I'm a little okay with that. Um, and after watching the pilot of event, the event, I was both excited and I know now that I'm going to have a new show that's going to make me crazy that I'm going to have to watch because the pilot of the event was fantastic and I highly recommend it to everyone when it airs in September. The event stars Jason Ritter, uh, John Ritter's son, Blair Underwood, and um, interestingly for me, because I've always liked her work, Laura Innes, um, best known as Carrie Weaver on ER. And it's got a pretty complicated premise. I'm not going to even try to explain what happens. All I can say is it's very interesting. I think it's going to be thought-provoking. Um, it's going to have a hint of maybe supernaturalistic tendencies, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the uh, lost polar bears and smoke monster. It's not going to go that crazy. It's just going to have a tad. Um, but all in all, I would say that's definitely the show that I am going to be waiting with bated breath for it to air and very much hoping it does well because I want to know what the event is and uh, certainly uh, I think NBC has got a great show which is good because they need a few more uh, hit shows and I would like to see that set of actors do really well. Um, so the event on NBC that's definitely one to check out. Um, the rest of my day was kind of a disappointment on Saturday because I tried really hard to go see in the main ballroom where all the big movies are. I really wanted to go see uh, information, go to the panel for the John Favreau movie Cowboys and Aliens um, starring Olivia Wilde and Harrison Ford. And, you know, it was just every fangirl's dream to see Harrison Ford. And I was literally five people away in the line from the front when... There was a little incident in Hall H, and uh, first we all we heard was that there was a stabbing, a person was brought out on a gurney, and uh, the police came and arrested somebody and carried him out. Um, kind of turns out it was slightly less exciting than, you know, rumors first said. Um, the, the word, the last word I heard is that it was a skirmish between friends over a seat position, and one guy sort of stabbed the other guy with a pen near the eye. So uh, the nerds were definitely getting restless by Saturday at Comic-Con. So um, I'm glad that the person that was hurt was not injured too badly. Uh, but it was very sad for me because Hall H was then shut down and nobody was allow allowed in or out of it for several hours. And I missed the Cowboys and Aliens panel and the Avengers panel um, where um, they had Robert Downey Jr. and all the stars of the... Avengers movie, Scarlett Johansson, and all those guys, and I think that I very much would have liked to see that. Um, so did not get to do that, but got to do some other fun stuff that day. Went to the Scott Pilgrim experience. Um, Scott Pilgrim, as I said in the other thing, is a new movie that's going to be coming out, uh, I believe, in August. 
it got a really great reception at Comic-Con and uh, the studio behind Scott Pilgrim did a really cool thing. They set up outside of Comic-Con across the street, they set up what they call the Scott Pilgrim Experience. Um, they had a, a movie tie-in with free garlic bread for everyone. I can't even imagine how much garlic bread they went through in the couple days that was set up. And then they had a, um, a special area set up where fans could design their own t-shirts for Scott Pilgrim. They had live bands playing and all sorts of cool stuff. And it took about an hour to get in there, but I had a lot of fun. I designed a t-shirt um, that looks like it's going to be a cool collector's thing and just generally had fun with that. Um, like I said before, the, one of the neat things about Comic-Con is finding and discovering these uh, things that aren't really officially Comic-Con. Um, they're not, you know, part of the official thing. You wouldn't actually even need a Comic-Con pass to go to them. You just need to know where they are. Um, the other thing I did was I found the Tron Arcade, and uh, thankfully by Saturday they were letting people show up and get in line without having to have a ticket. And I got to go in there, and I have to say, that was so cool. Um, Disney really went all out. They spared no expense tr transforming this empty building into, um, first part of it was the Tron Arcade. Um, they gave out these great Tron coins, and you could use your tokens once you got them to play all these old retro games, uh, Space Invaders, and all sorts of cool stuff. I've never given a game person, so I actually didn't play any games, but I enjoyed watching other people play. Then it sort of wrapped around, kind of like Pirates, and, you know, some of those Disney rides where you kind of walk through, and there's a couple different rooms, and each one's telling a story, so it kind of told a little bit of the story of Tron. And then finally, after you walked through a couple passages, they let you off into this huge cavernous room, and in it was just, I mean, it must have cost Disney millions of dollars to put this thing together, and I can't imagine them doing it for just three days, but inside it was basically like a, an IMAX theater where they were playing every about 10 minutes they'd play um, an extended trailer from Tron, and with that trailer they had light effects and strobe lights, and it, it's hard to explain how cool this was. I'm sure you can go on YouTube and get a video of it. I know tons of people were videoing it. And it was just so cool and such an immersive experience. Um, I was excited for the Tron movie before, and now I just think it's going to be fantastic. And I really hope Disney takes this idea and maybe moves it to Disneyland or Disney World. And now I just think it's going to be fantastic. And I really hope Disney takes this idea and maybe moves it to Disneyland or Disney World. Because um, it's very, very cool. And I can imagine once the movie comes out that it would be a huge draw. So that was, that was Saturday. Saturday was a lot of fun, and then uh, we get into Sunday, and again, it was a, an early day for me on Sunday because I wanted to go to the castle panel, and I knew that Nathan Fillion of Firefly fame is a big draw, so I got in line nice and early and uh, got a great position in the castle panel, and what a fun panel that was. Definitely probably the best panel I attended all weekend, mostly because the producers did so much to you know, bring some exclusive stuff to Comic-Con and show with the actors. Um, they had a lot, of, they showed a clip reel from the past season. They showed um, two new kind of uh, promos. They showed kind of a, the faux, you know, the if you know Castle, you know that the fake author, Richard Castle, his first book, uh, 
about Nikki Heat is on the show being made into a movie. So the producers went ahead and put together a trailer for the fake movie that's supposedly going to come out. So that was very cool. Um, they showed a little mystery thing. And then they also, at the very end, showed the first, um, the first scene from the new season. And that looks to be very exciting. I'm totally excited for that. I love Castle. And uh, that was great. I also had a great experience. You know, sometimes when we meet fans, or um, excuse me, actors from shows, it can be kind of a varied experience. I've been really lucky to meet a lot of cool actors. And sometimes they live up to your... Uh, expectations and sometimes they don't. Um, actually just during Comic-Con weekend I had an experience with an actor who I've admired for years and years and years and kind of finally met and spent some a little bit of time with and I have to say I, I still like the character they played um, but I'm not a fan of the actor at all anymore and that's kind of a sad disappointing thing. So at the castle panel I had a really good experience where um, I'm going to have a shout out to Stana Caddick, who plays Kate Beckett on Castle, because this is the second time I've seen her come to an event like this and be the most gracious, kind person I've ever seen with fans, going out of her way to let fans um, take pictures and sign autographs and just kind of going above and beyond. So Stana Caddick, if you ever hear this, I think you are an amazing class act. You're lovely. I love seeing you on the show, and it's really wonderful to see that you're an amazing person. So that's my uh, that's my little shout-out side note because that really stuck with me. Um, after that, I'd spent a lot of time in the exhibit hall on Sunday and then went back up to uh, the big ballroom for the Glee panel. I am a Gleek. I love that show. I love musical theater. And uh, Glee, I think, is a great, great show that's bringing you know, arts and music back into the classroom and to young people, and I just love it. The Glee panel was fun. Um, they hadn't gone back to shooting yet, so there wasn't a whole lot of new things they could tell us. They didn't have any clips um, of upcoming shows or anything, but it sounds like if you're a Glee fan, it sounds like they're going to do a lot more of the same this year as they did last year, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So Glee pretty much ended up the evening, um, went back to the exhibit hall. One of the best things about Comic-Con, as I've said before, are the freebies. And by the end of the day, Sunday, all of the booths were trying to get rid of everything they had left so they didn't have to take it home with them. So I made the rounds. I got way more stuff than I probably ever need um, and came home just with bags and bags and bags of stuff. Came home excited, tired, exhausted off my feet, and really satisfied. So... Comic-Con 2010 was a whole lot of fun, and uh, I recommend anyone who likes pretty much anything. Comic-Con, the name is pretty misleading. Um, it's not only about comic books. I'm not really a comic book person, and I love the thing. It's kind of the highlight of my year right now, and uh, I recommend anyone, if you're from out of town, make it a point to at least come once, because you really haven't experienced anything like Comic-Con before. So, it's one T-minus one week to Star Trek Las Vegas right now. I can't really even think about that. I'm still recovering from Comic-Con. I hope I don't come down with the nerd flu, which is a, a common side effect of Comic-Con when you have 150,000 people in an enclosed space for uh, five days. Some uh, virus-type situations tend to arise, and I'm really I'm taking some vitamin C because I want to be... Uh, rested and healthy for Star Trek Las Vegas, where I hope I will see lots of Treks and sci-fi listeners. 
Rico, I uh, have heard you're trying to make it out there. I hope that happens and we can all catch up and, you know, have a, have a great time in Las Vegas. Um, by the time this makes it on the podcast, I hope to have um, posted a bunch of pictures on the forums. You guys all have to excuse the quality. I'm sort of camera poor. Um, so my camera isn't the greatest. I don't have a great zoom, but I certainly put some, we'll put, make every effort to put some pictures up of some cool stuff and let you guys, uh, enjoy that. So until next time, this is Mina saying thank you guys and viva la Comic Con. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much, Mina, for your uh, very interesting report from Comic Con. I know everyone will, uh, be able to sort of, uh, you know, almost you know envision the show uh vicariously through what you and kenny said about it uh, you know i have to, i just wanted to make one comment about the your your comment about celebrity meeting celebrities and i've said this before on the podcast i might have given away a little bit more information i know you were very uh kind of careful i'm sure there you said you 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 had some dealings with a certain celebrity and uh, that your, let's say, dealings with the actual person wasn't maybe the greatest versus what they've been like uh, on, you know, you still like them on whatever role they play and show they're on or anything like that. But when you talk to them and meet them and, and how you have to deal with them, and I know you did some work in the Lightspeed booth, but you, you kind of are not really a big, so much a fan anymore. And that's happened to me a few times. And and then you mentioned Stana on uh, Castle being so gracious and so nice, and, and and here here's what I have to say, I guess, a little bit about that. And I just, you know, I've been to quite a few of these things, and, and I have, you know, I have my own little opinion about it. But a, a couple things I want to say. One one is, you know, these people, I I understand that it's very difficult. You know, they get some fans that are maybe not, let's say, the they're. They're maybe difficult to deal with, let's just say, and I think that can put you off a little bit. So I, I understand that they could get a little bit uh, standoffish and maybe have some, a little bit of an attitude to a degree. But I also think that they should be smart enough to realize, you know, that's going to happen at these kinds of events, and they have to sort of roll with it a bit more, perhaps. And, and, and by being there, they should realize that's that's this. they're there to sort of promote themselves, promote whatever it is they're doing, and... A little tiny little thing, either positive or negative, can go such a long way. I think they just, I think you know, try you know to to do their best to be kind of as gracious and and opening and welcoming as the, as they can. I mean, I've had some good and bad experiences like you've had, uh, but I think they they just seem to just not really be enjoying themselves, and you pick up on that. You pick up on if they're enjoying themselves or not, and it and it affects you. Uh, so that I, you know, that's kind of one little comment that I, I had to say. I, I'm just a little surprised sometimes when things don't go all that well, and they, and they seem a little bit unhappy about being there. I mean, really, they don't have to be there, but uh, and I mean, I was, well, maybe in some cases they do have to be there if they're required by whatever project they're working on to to do it. But and the other thing I'm just going to say is I think it's just the the nature of people. You know, there are some people that are a little bit more open and, and just frankly to me nice and, and more friendly than others and and it's interesting to me that entertainers basically there are still some people in the entertainment world that are really not all that friendly or people type persons you know what i mean i mean a lot of shows tv movies and that you know you've got to get along with the cast and the people you're working with but they're mostly solitary you're not really with 
audiences that much. You know, when you do theater, it's a little different, but I've probably gone, gone on too much or more than I needed to about all that. But I just found it very interesting. And uh, I'd love, Mina, you know, if you don't want to share that name with the public, I, you know, shoot me that name on an email. I'd love to, I'd be curious because I have a few ideas. And my first, first, I, I'm guessing it might be a Star Trek celebrity you, you were referring to because I know you had a lot of contact with them over the weekend at Comic-Con, but I, I'd be very curious, and I won't share it with anyone else if you'd rather not, but I'd be curious on who it was, because there's been a couple of Star Trek uh, celebrities that I've had some eh, not the best experiences with, and I'm curious if it's one of those or not. <laughs> anyway, um, I've decided that I'm going to play the rest of Kenny's Comic-Con. This is turning into the Comic-Con show, but I think it's fun stuff, and I hope everyone's enjoying hearing it. Here's the second part to Kenny's uh, Comic-Con report. Then we'll talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with your listener comments, too, about that. Hey, Rico, it's Kenny from California, and it's time for part two of my Comic-Con experience down in San Diego for 2010. So uh, let's pick up where uh, we just left off, at Flynn's Arcade. Um, you go in, and it's obviously it's Flynn's Arcade. It's just like it. You know, there's, um, was that Space Paranoid? With the huge ship and you're a tank and you're shooting them from Tron movie. That was so much fun to play. Uh, I played, obviously I played Tron, which is my favorite uh, of any of the uh, arcade games. And then um, they had the new ones. They had Wii and Xbox and all the the new Tron games that are coming out for the new movie. Those looked awesome. Uh, Lots of vintage games. Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Centipede, Joust. I was playing Joust. Um... And all the games are free, which is fantastic. It was just—it's just a really cool arcade. And then they have a Coke machine over in the corner, and it's all touchscreen digital. It was fantastic. You know, it's free, so people were just grabbing their cokes and chilling back, and it was so much fun. And then they had this room in the back, and you go into it, and you're standing—you're with a group a group of people, and you see they have like a mock-up of. Um, the beam, the machine that, that digitizes uh, Flynn in uh, Tron. And all of a sudden you hear his voice, um, Jeff Bridges' voice. And then the machine comes to life, and then the beam shoots out, and a door opens, and you continue down this hallway. And it's as if you're being digitized, because there's a beam right in your face, and it's spinning. And it's, it's actually making that same noise, like it's ripping, you know, like it's taking you apart bit by bit as you continue to walk down this hallway into this unbelievable room there's music it's like now you're inside like a club inside the game um it's like a rave party uh it it was it it was just it was the best experience um i actually went with a friend a new friend of mine tanya and we just had the best time in that room it's just it was just one big lounge like a big bar uh, I have video up, up of it on my blog. You can go to um, geekyfanboy.blogspot.com and check out uh, the video. Or it's on the forums also, on the Checks and Sci-Fi forums. I put it up there. But yeah, it's just one giant room. There's lights going. And it, it was just, it's so incredible what they did. And then, you know, they have they have a, a real suit from the from the movie that's displayed. And then they have all the products that are going to be coming out. Uh, you know, like Tron shoes that light up and headphones and a Wii controller and a keypad and all the action figures that are going to be coming up. And I mean, there's so much Tron merchandise that's going to be coming up. And uh, they were also giving free Cokes out there. There was a bartender giving soda out. And then there was a woman who was dressed all in, in one of the white uniforms for Tron. And uh, she was really cool. She just stood up by the bar area and you can go and take pictures with her and then suddenly the entire screen the entire wall of one of the buildings 
um, turns into a movie. And uh, you hear Flynn's voice, and then it shows bits and pieces from the movie. The bits and pieces from the trailer, actually. And it's just, the lights are going, and it's all coordinated with the movie, and it was just, it was a fantastic experience. And technically, you could stay in that room forever. You didn't have to leave. Once you were in it, you, you could stay. That was one cool thing about Flynn's. It's, like, it's not like they rushed you out. You could have went to the arcade. You could have stayed for hours in the arcade and then did the back room or vice versa. You know, it didn't really matter. They just, you just enjoyed you know, as much as you could of it and then you leave. I think we stayed probably about an hour, hour and a half or so. Uh, but it was, it was, it was incredible and it was such a fun experience to, to do that. And, uh, I'm so excited that I was on their Twitter account and actually saw the tweet and was able to get in. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my Friday. Um, and then obviously, oh, no, there was actually more. And, uh, yeah, we did, um, there was a Roddenberry party. Uh, uh, Eugene Rod Roddenberry. Uh, he's a friend of Greg Aronowitz, who I am friends with through the guild. He had a party, and they invited me. And so I got to meet uh, Rod. And he's fantastic. So much fun. Got to thank him and thank his father and for Star Trek. And that was a lot of fun. And then I actually got to meet Garrett Wang, who plays Ensign Kim on Voyager, because he was there also. And uh, he was uh, he was so cool. And Greg's telling me about the podcast and you know how it's innovated. And we're doing companion casts with the guild. And he knew who the guild was, and it was just a really cool conversation. And uh, got pictures with them, and had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so that was my Friday, and then Saturday, I pretty much that was the guild day because that's when the guild had their panel, and I didn't intend to, to do anything other than be at the panel. And to record it for a podcast. But we had... Um, I just got into the, the exhibition area. And Brian Kamioka, who's the marketing person for the guild, calls me and says, Can you help us for the signing from 11 to 1? And I was like, okay, sure. And I wound up being at the guild booth um, from 11 or a little bit before that. And then all the way to... I don't know, four or five at night. So then my entire day was with the guild because we did the signing and then we went to the panel and then we came back from the panel and did another signing. And it was a madhouse. Um, first of all, the, the first signing had just the cast, the main six cast, and it's always crazy. And whenever Felicia's there, it's always crazy. But then we did the panel afterwards and they last year we were in a like I don't know, 450 seat room, and we had like 1,500 people trying to get in. So we thought, oh, well, you know, this this year we weren't we weren't even at Comic Con. We were next door at the Hilton because Comic Con is so big they expanded to other buildings around them. It was in the Indigo Room, and it held 1,600 people. And believe it or not, we still had hundreds of people who weren't able to get in. So I don't know what they're going to do next year. Maybe we'll get Ballroom 20, which holds a few thousand, um, because we definitely compact that room but uh, the panel was awesome they uh sean came out uh who's the director he introduced uh, episode three because you know we had already done uh, one and two had already aired online so this was episode the premiere of episode three was there and crowds loved it and then kimmy v when, when came out and she was going to introduce kimmy v's the producer of the guild she introduced um that 
they were working on episode four and we were we were going to get a sneak peek of that and suddenly the screen comes on and i know exactly what's happening um but it's the actual surprise bollywood music video called game on and um I did. I worked on that three weeks ago. I think it was a top secret project that no one knew about, and it was it it went over unbelievably well. The crowds loved it. Uh, I loved it because I I'd, I'd seen him shoot it, but obviously I hadn't seen the final product, and it was incredible, incredible. That music video is just so cool. And by the time you hear this, it should be out. Uh, after that. Oh, and then during episode three, there's a reveal of a, a very cool poster, a painting that Greg Aronowitz actually did um, of Will Wheaton and Felicia Day posed as a romantic novel, uh, a, like a romance cover for a novel. It is the best picture I've ever seen. It is so cool. And so when the when the panel was over, Will, Felicia, and the cast, and Greg Aronowitz went down to the table to sign posters of this picture. So it was beyond crazy. You got Felicia Day, she can bring crowds. Then you have Will Wheaton to it, and it's it was nuts. No one was listening to anybody. I mean, we were trying to do crowd control, and we, were, we had the room. With, oh, it was just, it was crazy. But um, it was it was fun in the end, but it's just crazy in the middle of it. Uh, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Got my poster. I make sure they all they all think I'm crazy because like, why do you, you know, you're around us all the time. Why would you want posters of us in our signature? And I'm like, I'm still a fan. That I've always been a fan of the Guild. That will not change, even though I work with you guys and I know you all and you're all my friends. You're still, I'm still a fan of the Guild. So I want all this stuff. So I got my my autograph picture, my poster of uh, Will and uh, Felicia um, in the romantic pose. It's fantastic. It's too funny. Uh, the other cool news was that Felicia Day is going to be have a reoccurring role on Eureka, and Will Wheaton, who who recently um, showed up on an episode, is going to be back. And there's going to be this love triangle going on with another character, with one of the main characters uh, of Eureka. So I'm very excited to see Felicia and Will back on uh, Eureka. It's going to be awesome, and hopefully they'll they'll be on for a few episodes. Um, let's see. I think that was it for my Saturday. Yeah, that was my Saturday. I was exhausted. I don't think I did. There were parties I could have gone to, but I was so tired. There was no way I was going to make it out there. Um, and then Sunday, that's always the, the quieter, the quietest of the days. And this was no different. Sunday got up, um, mosey on over, didn't get, have to be there super early. Uh, got in around 10, 10, yeah, about 10. And all I wanted to do was take pictures because I hadn't taken a lot of pictures, especially since Saturday was kind of, you know, all devoted to the guild. I took hardly no pictures. And that's one of my favorite things is taking pictures of people uh, all dressed up. So I did nothing but walk the hall, uh, walk the exhibition, walk the lobby areas and just took massive amounts of pictures. And I got quite a few. It was a lot of fun. Um, But I did do one thing. I did go up to uh, the Harry Potter fan group meetup. Uh, they do this every year where uh, they'll get, like, you know, prominent people in the Harry Potter world like um, Melissa Anelli from the Pottercast and from the Leaky Cauldron website. Uh, they had um, God, they had an artist. There were several people from all – like, a, one was from the Wizard uh, – there's some sort of Harry Potter uh, musical that I didn't know about that the girls just went crazy over. Um, so they had him there. Andrew Sims from MuggleCast, uh, MuggleNet also. Uh, so yeah, so they have that 
panel there and you just go in and they talked about the you know where the harry potter fandom's going and since the, the last movies are coming up what do they see for the future lots of fun the, the best part was i got to actually meet melissa and ellie and i'm just a huge fan of hers i've loved her since the very first time i heard her on pottercast it's her and kevin batchelder and rico who really inspired me to do my own podcasting and it was like meeting one of my idols um and it was just a lot of fun and she's so sweet and so kind in person and she's just wonderful and so i was so excited that was the highlight of my sunday was meeting melissa and ellie and uh, i loved it overall it was a great con it was a lot of fun didn't do any panels other than the guild one and the only reason i got into that because i'm part of the of the of the crew and everything else was just you know you just read it online and and uh you know everyone experiences con differently and i've done the whole panel things years ago and i just prefer walking around taking pictures hanging out with friends and just seeing all the new stuff that's coming out uh for years to come so yeah so that's it so hopefully you guys uh enjoyed my little recap of comic-con san diego 2010 take care rico Thanks, Kenny. That's great. Uh, you know, one thing I was thinking of when I heard what you had to say and also what Mina had to say, and, and, and I loved having both of you report back and, and tell everyone who uh, listens to, the, to this podcast at Trex and Sci-Fi about the, your experiences at Comic-Con is you guys talked about different things. You know, there wasn't that much overlap, and, uh, and that's great, uh, even though you don't really, you know, didn't coordinate that at all. But you, I think you have different interests and different connections and all that so that's wonderful and Flynn's arcade just sounds awesome and uh, it would be really nice if they use that to you know put that arcade somewhere I don't think they've said they are going to going to do that officially but it also makes me really think they're really behind this movie you know it's all about Tron Legacy right that's what it's called isn't it not Tron 2 but but that they've they're happy with it, with what that movie's going to do and they've put all this investment into it and that that gives me a lot of confidence you know Tron to me is just kind of a a classic in, in early computer technology and movies and and you know these days to us it probably looks a little dated to to some degree but you know the new movie looks amazing and uh, I'm really glad that uh, you had a chance to do that and that they just sort of let you hang around in there that's cool and I remember back uh, back in the day I spent a little bit of time in arcades during college and stuff so it's uh, I, I would have loved to have been able to see that Kenny so again thanks Kenny thanks Mina Thanks so much, and uh, even though we're way, way into the podcast, it's going to be a long one, maybe two hours, who knows. Uh, we are going to take a very, very short break with another little cool clip here from our buddy Rob uh, doing some voice work related to Star Wars and some other characters. But uh, uh, after that, definitely Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Han Solo, I am captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here says you are looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed, if it's a fast ship. Fast ship, you have never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's the ship that made the Kissel run in less than 12 parsecs. I have outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I am talking about the big Carillion ships now. She is fast enough for you, old man. What is the cargo? Only passengers. Myself, the boy, two droids. And no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? 
let's just say we'd like to avoid any imperial entanglements. Well, that is the real trick, is it not? Then it is going to cost you 10000 all in advance. 10000 We can almost buy our own ship for that. Yes, but who is going to fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. Easy, Luke. We can give you 2000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17. All right, you guys got yourselves a ship. We shall leave as soon as you are ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. Well, thanks, Rob, for that other clip. Uh, yeah, Rob's done some great stuff, and we're working on a little project. Uh, let's just say it's related to uh, the current uh, Old Spice guy and Old Spice commercials, and as a little teaser for that, uh, well, let's just call it uh, Old Tiberius, it might be called, uh, for the little video that I'm going to work up. So I'll leave it at that. So thanks, Rob. Now let's get into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, the second film in the Indiana Jones series is actually a prequel. It was um, it was determined, and I've been trying to do some research a little bit on this, that they wanted to set this actually in Indy's life before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I think that freed them up for a few things. They put a different female lead in here to work with Harrison Ford, uh, and a couple other things happen in the movie that we'll be talking about uh, it um, it came out in 1984, and of course, again was you know basically you know Harrison Ford back as Indiana Jones, Steven Spielberg directing a story by George Lucas, the same creative kind of team, a lot of behind the scenes people, the same you know very much uh, a good follow up at least in terms of cast and crew and all of that uh, to the Raiders movie which came out three years prior. This movie is typically of the original three films, not counting the, the you know Crystal movie from a couple of years back, uh, Crystal Skull, but uh, it, it's usually been considered you know the weakest of the original three, and and I can kind of see that, and I probably kind of agree with it. Uh, it has it's a different tone for a movie for indie. He has uh, there are some fairly dark elements. I believe this movie is the first film ever to be rated PG-13, if I remember correctly. I'll check on that when I first play uh, one of the clips here. Uh, and, you know, a number of things, uh, different uh, different female lead. He ends up with a, a sidekick in this movie, Short Round, uh, which is a little different. And I actually enjoyed that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Uh, and I've also got several uh, listener comments to sprinkle in through today's uh, discussion on, on the Temple of Doom. So let me just play the trailer. This is one of the early trailers to Temple of Doom and uh, get us in the mood to talk more indie and uh, this uh, sequel to, in a way, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So here's one of the trailers for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. Dr. Jones found the Archie for me, and he's going to deliver him now. Say, who is this, Nir? Archie! Put the gun away, Sonny. Scientist. And what sort of research would you do on me? 
Nocturnal activities. What position I like to sleep in? Mating customs. So you're an authority in that area? Years of field work. Five sacred stones with magical properties. Magic rocks, fortune, and glory. I'd sleep closer if I were you. For safety's sake. Dr. Jones, I'd be safer sleeping with a snake. Uh, this movie still features the music, uh, the wonderful Indiana Jones theme, March, and, and that music uh, done by John Williams. Uh, just amazing score. You know, Indy, I'm going to take a little side uh, quick mention here uh, of a couple things personally, I guess, for me. Uh, Indiana Jones is like always probably one of my favorite characters of all time. Actually, even probably more than Trek in a way. If I had to, if I had a chance to be like a character, one of these, you know, larger than life characters in any of the films, even Star Wars, Trek, uh, anything, I think it might be Indiana Jones. I, I just, I don't know. I just like the way he is. I like his attitude. I like that he's sort of this dichotomy of uh, this college professor, but also this rough and tumble guy who travels the world and seeks out artifacts. You know, I love to travel when I can and see new places and things and and, and it's just i have a lot of respect love admiration anyway for the character so you know this movie even though it has some faults and seems a little dated maybe these days it is still i I still love it i think it still has a lot of charm i think it has a lot of good moments and 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 i like short round you know (laughs) i know a lot of people are don't don't like him, but and get annoyed a little bit by him. But I, I like him. I think he he does. A, he's a fun character, and I like the fact that they gave a, um, a, a younger, you know, character, a, a boy, you know, this sort of father son relationship that you never really see in Indiana Jones films, and you don't really expect. And and even in the you know in the the Crystal Skull movie, you know, he has this kid that he learns is his son. But it doesn't, I don't think it comes off as naturally, you know, that they're, they're kind of connected at all. Like uh, Short Round and Indy are in, the, in this movie. You really kind of, I think, believe that they're sort of a team and a little dynamic duo almost. And they, you know, kind of watch out over, watch over each other a little bit. So, uh, and you have this introducing of Willie Scott, uh, Kate, uh, Kate Capshaw, who eventually, of course, later on went on to marry Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Good for her to do this movie in a way, and uh, 
you know, one thing about her character and that role is that uh, she uh, she wasn't really well. She was eventually picked in, in one of the top choices, but they actually wanted at one point Sharon Stone, of course, of Basic Instinct and a lot of other movies, was going to be used for uh, that uh, that character there. But I I think they went pretty good. A lot of people say she's this screaming little, you know scared little girl throughout the movie but I, I think she's fun and uh, I think there's a chemistry between her character and, and Harrison Ford as Indy in this movie so uh, hey, I want to play uh, to break this up a little bit uh, I'm going to play one of the uh, uh, comments that you guys sent in uh, for this film we're going to start off with uh, our friend Brian who sent in his comments on Temple of Doom and then I'll be back to talk about uh, more of the movie Hey Rico it's Brian the Temple of Doom. Well, in 1984, just like everyone else, I was 15 and very excited to see this film as a uh, what I thought was a follow-up. It turned out to be a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in theaters, I saw it a number of times, really, really enjoyed it, thought it was a, a really fun movie. But I have to say that over the years, my feelings toward it have somewhat dimmed. Um, you know, I, I thought the beginning was great. The, all this, the scene in Club Obi-Wan, the opening sequence, um, the I, even even the part where they the planes crashing and they sort of jump out on the ra- on the raft and slide down the mountain you know it it was stupid but okay it was still fun um, seeing you know Kate Capshaw's Willie as the fish out of water in India um, it was was funny and and the, I even liked the dinner scene with the uh, chilled monkey brains I thought that was pretty that was that was fun but the fun kind of ends at that point for me and this movie takes a very very dark turn. And it literally, for me, sucked the life out of it. It stopped being what I expected from an Indiana Jones movie and became something very, very different. Um, I was especially disturbed, not as a kid, but as I've gotten older, with the whole child slavery aspect of it. I mean, it was pretty nasty. And, you know, and the adventure sort of lost its luster. And... You know, there are some good sequences, I suppose. I mean, I thought the, 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 the sacrifice scenes were really kind of gross and, you know, not fun to watch. And the uh, even the minecart chase scene, which a lot of people say they enjoy and they, they thought was pretty thrilling, that didn't do anything for me. I, it, it looked faked. It looked dumb. It just, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't work for me. I thought towards the end, um, the movie does pick up a little bit, and I thought you know the ending, the couple ending sequences when they were on the that rope bridge were good, um, and you know at the end of the day it was it, it was a good movie, but it, it was definitely no Raiders, and I think they made a mistake to be quite honest uh, going down the road of making this film not not as fun and a lot darker. Um, it really lost a lot of that spirit, and I'm very thankful that they got back to that when they made the Last Crusade. Although they seem to have forgotten that when they made that steaming turd, the Crystal Skull, but that's for another podcast. Anyway, I just wanted to give you some thoughts. Uh, I, you know, sorry I can't be so positive about this one, but that's just sort of the way I feel about it. I know a lot of other fans do as well. Um, and uh, so Temple of Doom, not one of my favorites, but not so bad either. So looking forward to hearing your thoughts as well, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Take care, my man. Well, thank you Mary, very much. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm whipped from that air show. It's just killing me today. Uh, yeah, just, um, ah, whatever. That's, sorry, Brian. Yes, your 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 uh, your comments are always very much welcome. Always love to hear your uh, thoughts and energy about whatever we're talking about. Great to hear that. Miss Jamie, of course, this time. But you said she hasn't seen any indie movie. She's not interested in that. And I 
you got to work on that, Brian. Get her to see Raiders at least. Everyone needs to see that movie. Uh, should be in the move, top ten movies of all time, in my opinion. Just so many great things in it. But we're talking about Temple of Doom, so let's get back to that. Yeah, I pretty much agree with your comments for the most part, Brian. It is. It definitely takes a turn to the dark side. Oh, to the dark side, yes. But it is, um, and I think it's intentional. You know, they, they tried, I think, to make it a little bit more of an intense movie than, than Raiders. And I think the spirit of adventure is kind of still there. But like, you know, right, about the child labor, labor thing. Uh, the heart, you know, pulling the heart out. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, when I was growing uh, not growing up, God, what am I doing? I am way, sorry about this, folks. When I was a little, you know, a few years younger and my kids were a little younger, I had my uh, one of my sons with me, I think my older son, Stephen. And we went to this, like, comic book slash memorabilia type store, okay? And they had some TVs set up in this store. And they would show, like, Star Wars or Star Trek movies. And this time when we walked in and I was looking around at some stuff and he was with me. And I'm not sure how old he was at the ten, at the time. I think maybe about 8, maybe 10 or so. Uh, but uh, maybe even not that old. I'm saying more like about 7 or 8. But they were showing a Temple of Doom on their TV. And, and my son... You know, of course, <laughs> what part do we come in on? They're, they're suck, you know, pulling the heart out of the guy, and and, and I think it kind of shocked my son. I, I didn't really think about it at the time so much, because probably because I'd seen the movie so much, uh, but it, but it was like whoops, and and it, and it kind of bothered him a little bit. And I felt terrible, you know. Here, you know, we're walking around this like comic book kind of store, and and he and he, you know, I I don't think he saw a lot of it. I think he kind of saw some of what was going on and kind of turned away. But and then we left and whatever. But but you are absolutely right. It is a little dark and, and definitely for little kids. I think it was a little hard at the time. Although I I, I sometimes wonder. I mean, I've been in R-rated movies these days uh, in recent years, and I see little kids in them. So who knows what? Every kid's a little bit different, and I, I certainly wouldn't have taken my little kids to see this movie. Uh, if that timing had worked out or whatever and waited a while for them to to see these. So you're, uh, again, correct. And, you know, one of the reasons they rated it uh, PG-13, I think. And, 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 and some of the sequences in the minecart, yeah, they're a little hokey and it's hard to, to, uh, to judge. I, I do think it picks up, like you said at the end. Again, we're, I think we're pretty in agreement with, with a lot of things about this. I still find some of the movie really charming. I, I, I kind of like some of the stuff. Maybe a little bit more than maybe you do, and uh, but you know again, it's just all a matter of taste and, and that. And uh, I'm going to uh, play a little clip here. I think this is some sequences with a uh, with Short Round, uh, who just to me is m- one of the fun characters in the movie. And uh, again, I like I said earlier, I really like the way he and Indy get along together in this film. So here here's some of Short Round and Indy.
Yeah, and, um, oh, no time for love, Dr. Jones. No, you call him Dr. Jones, doll. I mean, he's got some great lines in this in this movie. Oh, I was going to say this earlier. I kind of slipped my mind. I just kind of went right into talking about the Temple of Doom. I think I said early in the podcast I was going to try to do this a little differently and, and partly to speed it up a bit since we had a lot of Comic-Con to talk about and other things. But I'm not going to just basically play as many clips maybe as I would Everyone probably listening has seen Temple of Doom. You guys know the movie. I'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle in a few things, but it isn't going to be a blow-by-blow. Blow. You know, here's this scene of the movie. Here's that scene. That kind of line. I, I hope that's okay. Uh, that's just the way this one worked out. I wanted to talk more about the movie and, and play your comments uh, as well. And speaking of that, we have another comment here from Kenny. But this time not about Comic-Con, but about Indy uh, and the Temple of Doom. So take it away, Kenny. Hey Rico, it's Kenny from California. Just wanted to give you my quick thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I'm so glad you're doing a podcast on this. This is actually my favorite of all the Indiana Jones films. And I know I'm in the minority there as most people for some reason don't like this installment. And I don't understand why. Uh, At least no one's clearly told me why they dislike it. It's just normally it's like the third. Well now there's four Indiana Jones but... Back in the day, when there were only three, this was always everyone's least favorite, except for me. I always seemed to defend it, and, you know, like it or not, it's, it's a fun adventure. It's action-packed. The story is pretty cool. I mean, you know, it has, it has a really cool opening uh, singing number, and has that uh, minecar roller coaster ride. I mean, it's just, it's all around fun. I loved his sidekick, and I liked uh, Willie. You know, his other sidekick. They were great additions. And I think it's funny that this actual the story takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. I always thought it was odd that this movie took place prior to a previous movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it was to me, it was a fun film, fun adventure. Uh, you know, I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's always a classic because it was the first one. But I think Temple of Doom was really up there with it you know it was just as good as Razors and the Lost Ark at least that's my opinion I, I don't know Temple of Doom was just fun it was a fun roller coaster ride from beginning to end and I loved it and I'm so glad that you're doing the podcast and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it so uh, take care well thanks Kenny for your uh, comments about uh, Temple of Doom yeah I remember I think that sometime on the forum that came up before that you had said that this is your favorite of the movies and that you uh, end up kind of defending it and uh it, it's, uh, you know, 
it's always it comes down to a matter of taste and personal opinion. I think there's no right or wrong answer. I, I think from a film standpoint, for me at least, it's a little, it's it's definitely not not as solid as as Raiders of the Lost Ark. But that's just my, you know, again my opinion and and others. But uh, but I agree that there are a lot of fun adventurous type moments in this movie. And it really gets rollicking right away. I mean, everyone seems to like the Club Obi-Wan sequence at the beginning. And, of course, that club was named after Obi-Wan from Star Wars. They have a lot of references to to Star Wars and things in the indie movies, and that's just one of them. The, uh, You know, that's a great thing. Short Round, uh, who's played by uh, Jonathan Key Kwan, who is uh, in Goonies and, and other films. I think he does a good job. I find, though, watching it a little bit, you know, when... when uh, short rounds doing some of his little karate moves and kicks that some of the bad guys go down just a little too easily than uh, you know you would expect I, I mean he you know he kind of jumps up and gives him a quick little kick and, and these guys fall down around him and Indy's got to sock them and punch them and you know do whip use his whip or sword or whatever but uh, but that's just a little you know that it's just something that um, you have to kind of accept a little bit to a degree, I guess. Anyway, uh, so again, thanks for your comments, uh, Kenny. I thought I would run down. I always like to go to, you know, do some of the behind the scenes and a little bit of the background and trivia on, on movies and, and shows and stuff that I talk about. And I thought I would give you uh, some of that here for uh, the Temple of Doom. I've said a couple of things so far. Uh, one, I was getting, you know, doing this while playing a couple of the other clips, but. Uh, I did find out that I guess George Lucas really definitely wanted to go darker with this movie, that he had been, he was a little influenced by the darker tone of The Empire Strikes Back and how that had come off and was pleased with that. So he decided to go, okay, let's do that with Indiana Jones uh, and the Temple of Doom. But I think it's not quite the same thing. Uh, you know, I think there was more of a character journey thing going on for Empire and, and some of the darker things going on there than it was just so much like, you know, things that happen, like, you know, hearts being ripped out and ch children working in a mine and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I understand he had uh, help with the script and, and story from uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who helped him with other things in the past. Uh, there was a there was a fair number of injuries on this movie. Harrison Ford uh, herniated his back uh, in uh, in that scene where he's uh, in the bedroom uh, fighting with that assassin, you know, right before he's supposed to go over and, you know, uh, have some time for love with the Dr. Jones, uh, that scene, he hurt his back really badly. Uh, and it caused uh, what you'll notice in this movie, you probably will, if you look closely, especially on the higher def versions you can see these days, uh, there's a lot more stunt work by especially uh, his stunt double Vic Armstrong in this film than probably any of the other indie movies, even the most recent one, even The Crystal Skull, uh, that uh, because uh, him hurting his back, you know, uh, not indie, Harrison Ford hurting his back in that one scene. Also, uh, during the minecar sequence, Kate Capshaw got a black eye. She hurt herself there. Uh, you know, these are rough and tumble kind of movies. And so there's uh, so there's a lot of you know different things that happen uh, during the making of them that cause injuries and you know they try to be as careful as they can. Fortunately, no one really got that I guess you know hurt or anything. But Harrison Ford though, I think his back w was messed up even a little before this, and it got pretty messed up by that. So uh, I guess that's the price you pay when you're doing uh, feature film work. 
Uh, related to uh, Willie and uh, that, I guess, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg uh, really wanted Karen Allen back as Marion. Uh, and, of course, that would have maybe changed it from a, a prequel film to a sequel. But George Lucas had decided he thought that uh, each of the movies, for, you know, that Indy did, just like the old serials and, and things like that, there should be a different woman coming in pretty much each time. And, uh, of course, Karen Allen would come back in The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull but that you know some time had passed so that that worked out okay but eventually you know they do a different movie in the la or a different woman in the last crusade as well so uh and i think steven spielberg ultimately was probably happy about this because he eventually you know strikes up a romance with kate capshaw and they get married and have kids and all that so maybe maybe it was okay that he, they didn't bring karen allen back even though at first he was not uh, he was the one that was really kind of fighting that with uh, george lucas and getting back to the uh, the rating situation with PG-13, uh, I guess uh, this movie along with Gremlins, I'm not sure, I think I think this movie came out before Gremlins, but of course when they, they give the ratings out, they are reviewed by the rating boards at different times. But anyway, uh, both of those movies ended up being rated PG-13. It's kind of believed, though, if they hadn't had Steven Spielberg's name associated with these movies, with both of them actually, that they would have probably ended up being rated R, which would have been just probably a disaster. You know, can you imagine an R-rated indie movie? You know, I guess it's possible, but I, I just think it would have been a very bad situation at the time. And, uh, you know, maybe they would have changed it and lightened it up a little bit for that. But they ended up being PG-13, and we still have the PG-13 rating system to this day. Another uh, thing related to the naming of the the characters in this uh, movie, of course, everyone knows that uh, Indiana Jones is named after George Lucas's dog, you know, the name Indiana. But the uh, other interesting thing is that Short Round was named after a screenwriter, Willard Huicks. Is that his name? Huicks dog. His and uh, and the um, the character of Willie was named after Steven Spielberg's dog. <laughs> Which, of course, he goes on to marry Kate Capshaw, so that's a little weird, isn't it? And another uh, factor was that they, they, you know, even though this movie is supposed to be taking place in India, uh, a lot of it, uh, that uh, they actually didn't shoot there. They tried to do some shooting there, but they weren't allowed to by the government. Uh, they had trouble with problems with the script and some things in it, especially the word Maharaja, so... Uh, they eventually ended up filming a good portion, most of the movie actually in Sri Lanka, which uh, is uh, where our Arthur C. Clarke lives. Uh, the character of Mullah Ram, played by uh, Indian actor Amrish Peru, uh, he, he, you know, they actually, you know, he shaved his head. That wasn't like some kind of bald cap. He shaved his head for Mullah Ram for the role there. And uh, I guess it, it, it went over so well with it, you know, doing work and film in his home country that he kind of kept it that way for a lot of uh, his work afterwards after temple of doom it uh became kind of his signature look uh the, the look of Mullah ram oh and another thing on uh short round jonathan uh Kikwan, uh he was actually when he came to audition you know they had this big casting call for short round he didn't really come to audition actually he came with uh, his uh, his brother, who was going to ad audition for Short Round, and uh, he was just there to sort of give him some moral support and provide him some uh, you know help in doing the uh, the lines and that. But he caught you know uh, the the uh, eye of the casting director, 
and they really liked him so much that they eventually, you know, had him audition, and he eventually became Short Round. This was actually the first movie he ever did. He did this one prior to uh, Goonies, which came out a little bit later. I think the next year was the when that came out. And there's, you know, there's a ton more stuff I, I could bring up about the, 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 you know, the the story and, and, and everything that goes into it. Uh, but uh, we'll leave it at that for now. The podcast is is going to be long enough. Uh, next up, I'm going to play one little clip. This is towards the end of the movie, uh, the scene on the bridge, the great rope uh, bridge scene, which I think a lot of people uh, really like that, over the big, you know, long gorge, which actually really wasn't the case. They were not suspended like that, of course, at all. Uh, you know, the long shots are a little different. Anyway, here's a little bit of uh, that sequence, and uh, I'll come back after. Shorty! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Is he nuts? You know what? He's crazy! Yeah, I like that scene towards, you know, you know, Willie's just like, he's crazy! And, uh, that uh, that actually the words is in uh, it's in Chinese that um, that Indy speaks at that point uh, the the Chao Chi Lan Su something like that I'm not saying it probably probably correctly but what he's what he's actually saying there to uh, short round he's saying watch out which is the the Chao Chi part I know that uh, and the other part the the Lan Su Sao is um, hold the rope fast so he's basically you know he's saying watch out short round you know hold on to the rope quickly uh and uh you know i like that uh, sequence uh, and it's it's pretty cool i thought and even though uh the uh the character of short round or the actor i said jonathan is uh is actually from vietnam not from china but you know it doesn't really matter i guess in a movie so uh Hey, let's now play another clip from uh, one of you guys who have listened, or, well, listen, of course you listen, uh, who have sent in comments about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This is Peter, or uh, Brompton Boy, uh, on the forums and his comments on this movie. Hello, Rico. Hello, everybody in the Trex and Sci-Fi community. This is Pete from Philadelphia, also known as Brompton Boy on the Trex and Sci-Fi forums. Rico, you know, I, I felt almost obliged to turn in my geek card last week when uh, uh, yeah, I was unable to send in a comment for the Firefly series or for, or for the movie Serenity because I hadn't seen any of them. I was very ashamed of myself. Uh, I was positive that the Enforcers would come around in the Geek Squad uh, VW Bugs and, and take away my geek card. But I can redeem myself this week because I have indeed seen... All of the movies, uh, actually all except the, the last one, all of the movies in the Indiana Jones franchise, and I really love Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I had the pleasure of seeing this in the movie theaters, of course. Uh, my sister and I would go to see them. Uh, she, uh, she's the one that hooked me on the series originally. I, I didn't really know what they were all about, but uh, she convinced me to go, and once I went, I was a, I was a convert instantly. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Indiana Jones and uh, his female companion, and I, I can't remember her name, it, it's terrible, but uh, they were meeting the young Pasha, and they were kind of, or Emir or whatever he was, or the Maharaja, whatever he was, and they were discussing the thuggy coal. And one hideous delicacy after another 
comes out uh, while they're having their feast, and uh, much to the horror of, of Indy's female companion, and they have snake surprise uh, where <laughs> the snakes are pouring out of the body uh, of some other animal on the table. And then, of course, the iconic chilled monkey brains. Uh, you know, who, who wouldn't uh, love to have that? Now, I, I don't know about you. I've been to many an Indian restaurant uh, and uh, even, uh, you know, been to work in Bangalore once, and I didn't see chilled monkey brains on the... <laughs> on the menu any place, but uh, whatever, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And of course, you have to love the minecart ride that they had in that movie. I mean, that was, uh, that was really pretty amazing. You've you got to wonder, what were those engineers thinking that laid that all out? They uh, must have been uh, breathing in methane fumes or something like that coming from, uh, coming from the rocks when they were, they were mining. But that was, that was a lot of fun, a great action sequence and uh, it's been stolen by I think Brendan Fraser he's probably done it in every action movie that he's had uh, the mummy journey to the center of the earth you name it he's done it and uh, and uh, it's really become kind of a staple of some action films it's very enjoyable done very well there yeah yeah you have to love that and of course who wouldn't love our favorite thuggy leader Mola Ram right I mean there there's a tough guy a tough guy to work for uh, you never know when he's going to... Uh, so it's almost worse than working for Darth Vader, you know. Uh, <laughs> he's a tough boss. You know, maybe Mo Howard of the Three Stooges would be an easier boss to work for. But, uh, you know, you never know when this guy's going to, you know, uh, pull you up on the front line and yank your heart out, right, and show it to you. So, you know, they must have a very good survivor's plan or a good dental plan and a pension plan there as well, just like the uh, the Imperial troopers that are subject to, to the whims of uh, of their leaders. Well, that, that's all I have to say, Rico. We're uh, we're gonna we're leaving uh, in a little bit for a vacation trip up to Boston, a family trip to Boston. Going to show them the USS Constitution up there and walk the Freedom Trail. And uh, I'm going to uh, listen to this on the drive up there. Looking forward to it. And uh, Rico, thank you very much. And uh, remember that there is no sanctuary. Well, thank you, Peter, for your comments. Uh, yeah, you know, chilled monkey brains and uh, you know the snakes and all that that scene. I think that it's obviously, you know, was done to shock and kind of overwhelm the audience a little bit. And, uh, it, you know, the the character of Willie in the movie, that's, you know, Kate Capshaw, the uh, the female uh, love interest for Indy there. She uh, She's sort of meant to be us, I think, in the movie, you know, the way she's reacting to a lot of things, the bugs and, uh, you know, the all that stuff. I forgot to say earlier when I played some of the short round stuff in the clips, and I've said, I think that I like his character. One of the things that this movie still m- kind of makes it for me and, and makes it good is, is I like the fact, you know, they when they get Indy and they trap him and, you know, give him the little blood stuff or whatever the heck it is and kind of gets a little possessed and gets, you know, under their spell and he's doing some nasty stuff. And then it's short round, you know, his little buddy that kind of pulls him back from the edge of that. And, and that little sequence uh, to me is like probably my favorite part of this movie. And, and it always gets to me a little bit, you know, he's like, Indy, I love you, you know, and, uh, and that brings him back. So that, that's cool. And I like that a lot. Uh, let's see, where are we at? And what do we got? Uh, probably the podcast is like eight hours long by now. I never really know until I start adding all the clips in. But let us play uh, one more of your comments. And uh, this is from our buddy Rick Moyer. And I think his son is along with him for this. And they're talking about, of course, Temple of Doom. Well, yeah, that's what we're talking about. So take it away, you guys. (laughs) 
Hi there, this is Rick. And this is Andrew. And this is the Father and Son Review. And uh, today, we just got done watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Part two of the trilogy, which there's actually four of them now, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so we got to see um, Temple of Doom. Tell me what you thought about it, Andrew. Uh, it, it wasn't really... Well, there was a lot of the same action as, like, the... Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff, but yeah. it's, it's just, I didn't really like it. It was a little just darker than normal, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I do I do think that there were some very fun, exciting elements of it. Very unbelievable, but all the action sequences in Indiana Jones are unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I thought it was kind of cool to see some, some uh, shout-outs to the other Raiders of the Lost Ark when the gong was rolling like the the stone in the mm. first one and then when they got outside the club did you notice what the club name was Obi-Wan Club Obi-Wan yeah <laughs> and then and then of course uh, with the snakes and everything Indiana being scared of those and and the whole scene inside the castle where they're you know in the traps and everything and and uh, the bugs and all that stuff it was very reminiscent mm. of Raiders of the Lost Ark the first one I like it better yeah, you like the first one better? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, some of the highlights in Temple of Doom, to me, was the scene where they ate food hmm. when they were in the in the castle. Or was it a castle? Was that, or the palace? Where they served the... Uh, the first thing they served was... Uh, what was the first thing, Amy? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. They, they opened the snake, and the little snakes came out, and they were eating those. And then, and then the next Tasty. thing was uh, the bugs that came around, the scarabs. And they ate the guts out of them, and then uh, the, the eyeball soup. Where the, the I liked the little sidekick that Indiana had. What was his name again? Oh. It was it was hilarious. Mm, anyway, Mister Jones, Mister Jones, <laughs> or Doctor Jones, Doctor Jones. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was going to do a parody song uh, to the uh, Mrs. Jones song. Another one goes Mrs. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. I was going to go, Dr. Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. Oh, boy. We've got a dig going on. <laughs> what do you think? Mm, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> I like to see Indiana on an elephant. I thought that was awesome. I thought his co-stars were great. <laughs> uh, really enjoyed the mining scene, and it reminded me of the the ride at Disneyland that we went on. Yeah, the, the mining cart. Like, really? How fast do you really think I know. you can get that going? I know. And then it was it was totally a plan to make a Disney ride. I could tell that. Oh, obviously. Yeah. So anyway, we've kind of waffled on like meds and Cal here hmm. on uh, Raiders of the Lark. Temp- Raiders of the Lark. Raiders of the Ark Part 2, The Temple of Doom. <laughs> okay, out of five stars, what do you give the second installment of the Raiders of the Lost Ark series? Yeah, probably a three. It was still a good movie. Yeah, I thought it was fun to see Indiana again. and Yeah, so I would give it out of... I'd give the first one five stars because it was awesome. By far. Second one, I'd give it probably around a three. Uh, we, I, we'll have to talk about the third one when uh, I really liked the third one. And uh, that was The Last Crusade. Oh, great movie. That was, yeah, it was very good. And uh, I can't wait for Rico to review that, too. So thanks, Rico. There's our take. Um, This is Rick. And this is Andrew. And this has been the Father and Son Review. Have a great day. Well, that's great. Thanks, Rick and Andrew. Uh, And and it was cool that you guys both had just watched the movie again and and talked about it. And uh, Short Round, Short Round is the sidekick. And, you know, it's it's still, you know, overall a fun movie. Hey, I've got one more listener uh, comment to play. I think I've got them all. You guys uh, 
did great this week on that. I, I really appreciate it. And I think it makes it a much more interesting and fun show. This one is from our buddy Al, who does the Tales from the Mouse House uh, podcast, which I am going to be on their show, I think, sometime very soon. So anyway, the uh, this is Al again for, uh, and his comments on Temple of Doom. Hey, Rico, this is Al from uh, Tales from the Mouse House, better known as Quadshot from the forums. Um, when you mentioned that you were going to do a show on uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I thought, you know what, they need to hear my comment. <laughs> uh, now, Temple of Doom uh, wasn't one of my favorite Indiana Jones movies, but it was definitely a, a good one. I, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, it was sort of confusing at first because it was a prequel, you know, something that wasn't really done prior to this movie. Uh, it may have been used here and there, but it, it wasn't really a very common thing to do. Uh, it was kind of difficult to get into this movie at first because we meet a woman who Indy was kind of passionate about. But wait a minute, what about Marion? Oh, yeah. This happened before Marion. You see, the, the prequel thing kind of got a little confusing. But once I got past the whole prequel concept, I really, really enjoyed Temple of Doom. It was a bit more, well, a bit more exciting and, and, and more fun than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Lost Ark, more corny maybe, but still it was, it was fun. Uh, I loved the action and I loved the story. And it did remind me a lot of the old Buster Crab serials from the 1930s and the 40s. You know, the original Buck Rogers? Temple of Doom had that feel about it. And, and I think that's what uh, Lucas and Spielberg were really striving for. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the uh, Kate, Kate Capshaw's uh, portrayal of Willie Scott. Um, I thought that she screamed way, way, way too much. I mean, by, you know, like the... I'd say after the first 45 minutes of her screaming in the movie, I just kind of wanted a popper one. Uh, the special effects were, were amazing, and, and the music, as always, was just absolutely great. And I love Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. I mean, what could be better? Um, he was just really on his game in this movie. Uh, here's a little trivia for you. Now, in Disneyland, as you exit the uh, Indiana Jones uh, in the Temple of the Forbidden Eye ride, Take a look to your left as you're, as you're exiting, and you'll see the actual mine car that was used in Temple of Doom. All in all, Temple of Doom was a good installment for the Indiana Jones uh, franchise, and I thought that it really carried out all the elements that I expect in a great show. It had action, comedy, action, whips, action, romance, action, thuggies, and yes action. So thanks for doing the show on uh, Temple of Doom. Rico, uh, keep up the great work. I love the show. And uh, tune in to Tales from the Mouse House. Thanks. Well, thanks very much, Al. Appreciate your comments uh, about Temple of Doom. And I, I knew you'd had some things to say related to this, especially because of that. I've actually seen that Indiana Jones, uh, that Disneyland uh, exhibit, although we can talk about that more when uh, when I talk to you on your show. But, uh, yeah, that Forbidden Eye. And I didn't know that comment about the mine car sitting there, though. And uh, maybe the next time I'm out there and see that, I'll have to take a closer look. So, uh, yeah, there certainly is a lot of action in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, some Maybe some things that they could have changed a little. That whole idea of the 
the prequel. I, I still am not quite sure, except for making it easier for them to have a different love interest for Indy. Uh, I'm not really quite still sure why they decided to do that. Maybe to do something different? I, I don't know. And, and the other thing that's in, a little unusual about this movie is I don't think Indy ever really gets back home, like to, to the college and his house and all that. You don't see any of that kind of sequence in this movie. It starts out, uh, you know, in Asia and then eventually gets to India and all that. So, you know, a little a little bit more removed than, than the other movies. There's no reference point that way like there are, I think, in all the other indie films. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed this this look at it. Oh, I wanted to play one more clip. I thought this was kind of interesting. I found a, a TV spot, a short, like, 30-second clip, but this is actually for for the movie, for Temple of Doom, but it is uh, the Korean version, and they throw a little weird different music in it. I just thought, thought it was kind of fun and thought I would play it for you on the podcast. So listen to this. Yeah, isn't that kind of cool, kind of neat and different? I, I thought it was kind of fun. So, uh, uh, again, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this look, uh, you know, fairly fairly quick, but I think, con- you know, concise enough and gave you some things to uh, maybe you didn't know and some interesting comments and from our listeners about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I am going to just basically quickly sign off on the show here. I'm not going to do a break and then come back and all that. We don't need to do that today. Besides, I've just, my voice is, it may not sound like it, but I I hope I'm not getting sick or something, but I just feel like dried out almost. I feel like a California raisin out there in the sun too much at the air show yesterday, but man, it was cool. Never probably be able to see that again unless I go to it again next year. They have that every year, actually, the EAA does. So uh, if you're ever in the sort of Wisconsin, Illinois-ish area uh, around, I guess it's always the last of July and you love aviation, you know, you should definitely check that out. So hope you enjoyed that discussion, too. Thanks so much to everyone that contributed this week to the show, Mina and Kenny and all the people that have sent in comments about Temple of Dune. That's great. Uh, Next week is going to be a little bit uh, different. Uh, I think every week is a little different. <laughs> I'm a little different, aren't we all? Because we're geeks, come on! Uh, so, uh, what I was going to say, though, is I am going to be going home for the weekend, finally. It's been over a month, and I haven't been home since the 4th of July. i like, do you guys remember who Rico is? Wait a minute, who's Rico? You're Rick. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like Dr. Jones. No, no. That, he's in Indiana. Call him Indiana. <laughs> anyway, what am I doing? I got to get out of here. Maybe I need a Mountain Dew or something. Uh, more green tea. That'll be better. Uh, next week, though, will be a guest cast. The next week is going to be a guest cast hosted by Meds and uh, Company. I, I believe it's going to be Casey and Kenny again. I think that's his usual crew for talking about Doctor Who. And they're going to be talking about the most recent season of uh, Doctor Who, or of our good doctor uh, featuring Matt Smith, the new doctor and uh, the new season, and I'm sure they're going to be talking about the episodes and, and everything. I haven't listened to their show yet. They're, I just got it uh, downloaded. He's uploaded it to me, and I've downloaded it. You know how that all works. doesn't matter. I'm rambling. Anyway, that'll be next week on the show since I'll be off for the week and uh, traveling home, 
And uh, what's up in two weeks? Let me check my schedule real quick. Oh, yes, I am gonna, in two weeks, it'll be a, I'm gonna be looking at a, believe a TOS episode uh, called, yes, What Are Little Girls Made Of? And uh, I am, even though Vegas has not worked out this year for me for the convention, I will be going to the Comic Con, the Wizard World in Chicago. Uh, it's not actually in Chicago, it's a suburb, Rosemont or something. Uh, of the weekend of the, what is it, the 21st, 22nd, that weekend or something uh, of August. So if anyone else is going to that, I think Rick Pete is maybe, and if anyone else is in this area and going, please let it, you know, get a hold of me, treksf at gmail.com, and maybe we can cook up and have lunch or talk or do something. So I will be going to that convention, uh, definitely, since it's fairly close to me here in Rockford. So that's it, everyone. Uh, Take care. Uh, I will talk to you again soon. Bye. This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production. 